everybody, and welcome to The Poetry Space, episode 41. I'm Katie Dozier, and I'm excited to talk about guzzles today with Timothy Green, my co-host. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm doing good, Katie. Uh, just sitting here drinking my throat coat tea. These are cold <laughs> rolls through the system. How about you? Well, I have to give you ample credit. We are both uh, fighting this cold, and I woke up from a little nap to make you tea to find out you'd already made me the same tea. So we are definitely uh, going to be using the mute feature and hoping not to cough on everybody in this case today, I think. Yeah, but I feel pretty good. I'm excited to talk about guzzles, which are one of my favorite poetic forms, and also uh, the summer issue of Rattles tribute feature. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm super excited too. And I mean, I have to say the first guzzle that I ever read was um, when you published Alexis Sears' Heartbreak Guzzle, the same week that you published my Poets Respond poem. And ever since then, I've been really fascinated with the form and excited to learn more about it today. So I'm interested, which, which guzzle do you want to read for us first? Well, I think my favorite guzzle is probably um, one of my favorite Poets Respond poems we ever did is uh, Zainab Hashem Beck's uh, Guzzle Back Home which um, is written during the Syrian refugee crisis in 2000. Uh, what year was that? 2017, maybe, was it? And, um, and it just shows that, or 2015, I guess it was. And it just shows the power of the form and how, how moving it can be to engage a topic in this, in this way. So it's, it's a form that really adds so much power to what a poem can do. And uh, so here's Zaina Hashem Beck's Guzzle Back Home. Tonight, a little boy couldn't walk on water or row back home. The sea turned its old face away. Again, there was a no, no back home. Bar is how we were taught to measure poetry. Bar is how we've stopped trying to measure sorrow back home. All that blue is the sea, and it gives life, gives life, says God to the boy standing wet at heaven's gate. Does he want to return to go back home? My friend who hates cooking has made that eggplant dish, says nothing was better than yogurt and garlic and tomato back home. On the train tracks, a man shouts, hold me, hold me, to his wife, bites her sleeve as if he were trying to tow back home. Thirteen-year-old Kanan, with his big eyes, says, we don't want to stay in Europe, just stop the war, he repeats, as if praying, grow, grow back home. Habibi, I never thought our children would write help us on cardboard. Let's try to remember how we met years ago back home. On our honeymoon, we kissed by the sea, watched it rock the lights, the fishing boats to and fro back home. And so you can feel the, uh, or hear the form in that really clearly. I think the repetition of that end word at the end of each couplet, and then the rhyme that's sort of buried behind the end word. But the really crucial part of it is the way that each couplet is distinct. And so it has this similar sort of cut format that haiku does. And I think that's the really fascinating thing about the guzzle form is how much it has in common actually with haiku, even in how it's been brought over into the English language. I think it has these leaps between, um, between topics around a subject matter that expands the imagination in the same way that, that haiku does, but in a longer form. Yeah, I think that that's, and for me, I've, you know, tried to write a limited number. Again, I'm far from an expert on this form. And that's the part for me that I find uh, the hardest. Also with, you know, with the rhyme that is before the refrain, which I want to use the correct terms because I learned them in preparation for this space. So the radif is the word or the phrase that each couplet ends on. Um, and the quafia, I'm, I'm sorry for my mispronunciation. I hope to be corrected later <laughs> in this space is the rhyming word that occurs before the radif at the end of each couplet. Um, and then in the in the first couplet, of course, it's um, in both of the first and the second line of the couplet, but following that. And then, of course, the other uh, main thing that, at least for me with the form, is that the last stanza includes a reference uh, to the poet themselves most of the time. Yeah, and I don't know how to pronounce anything either. Like, I've only seen the words on paper, and I don't speak Persian or Arabic. But um, but, but what's fascinating, it's the similarities between um, haiku and and the uh, um, the form, the guzzle, is, 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 first of all, it started out as a long, um, you know, a long hundreds of couplet type poem um, that Kasadas, uh, or whatever they're called it in, in the Arabic, um, and then this was a shortened version in the same way that haiku, you know, Basho famously, as we talked about the haiku episode, 
uh, you know, Basho shortened it and pulled out that one. And then how much it's misunderstood in the English language is we sort of, um, you know, it's a real example of cultural appropriation where we don't understand the complexity and nuances of a form. And yet there are all these things called guzzles that are so have little to do with actual guzzles. I think that's a, it's a fascinating thing too. Yeah, that's definitely something I was thinking about too, as I was preparing for this is also, I mean, the struggles with that haiku space to come into English, you know, at, and, and the similarity for guzzle that that's based too, because of that, the rhyme and the meter and making that difficult, of course, with a haiku, I think people would say, well, there's not a key go. And then some could, you know, how are we going to do this in English? And, um, and so I think that there, there are issues with, you know, the acceptance of it for that reason, it's been a little bit slower, but I mean, you know, guzzles are certainly a lot more popular, I think in English than they used to be also. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you look at uh, the translations of Guzzle, I was looking uh, this morning for some, because, uh, you know, Rumi wrote over 3,000 Guzzles um, in, in Persian he was writing. And it's so hard to find translations of Rumi that use the actual music of the poetry form. And um, there's so many written in free verse, which have don't keep any of the structure whatsoever. And just are almost like scholarly interpretations of what's going on but without any of the music. And, and in part, that's because it's so hard to get those rhymes um, through from the one language to the other. Also, Persian is a subject-object-verb uh, language, whereas English is subject-verb-object. And so the sentence structure is different. Where you end a sentence is different, which makes the rhyming harder, too. And the whole thing just makes it very difficult to, to keep the form in the same way that, you know, Japanese being a Moraic language makes everybody think it's five, seven, five syllable count, even though there's no counting of syllables in Japanese haiku. It's the same similar problems in translation that really obscure a lot of the beauty and power of the form, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really excellent point. And anytime we talk about translation, I feel so frustrated that I only really speak English fluently. It makes me so mad that I can't like further poetry by bringing in some form from a foreign language that only I can somehow speak and translate for everyone. But I, I was looking at, you know, poets that really tried to progress uh, guzzles within English too. And I found someone, a poet who died about 20 years ago called Aga Shahid Ali, who wrote um, a book of guzzles called, uh, called Call Me Ishmael Tonight. And I was looking at his work and how he really tried having grown up in Kashmir to really bring this to English and take what he thought, you know, were the really important parts that could be translatable, where he was dropping a little bit more of the meter and things like that, uh, in order to really find the form, to give the form legs in English. Yeah, do you want to read one of his poems? Sure, I will read uh, Tonight. So again, this is from Tonight, Call Me Ishmael. So it's a book of guzzles that was, uh, I think, published around, uh, in, let's see, 2003. Um, so he died, I think, around 20 years ago. So this is called Tonight. And this starts with an epigraph. Pale hands I love beside the Shalimar from Lawrence Hope. Where are you now? Who lies beneath your spell tonight? Whom else from Rapture's Road will you expel tonight? Those fabrics of cashmere to make me beautiful, trinket to gem, me to adorn, how to tell tonight. I beg for haven, prisons let open your gates, a refugee from belief seeks a cell tonight. God's vintage loneliness has turned to vinegar, all the archangels, their wings frozen, fell tonight. Lord, cried out the idols, don't let us be broken, only we can convert the infidel tonight. Mogul ceilings, let your mirrored convexities multiply me at once under your spell tonight. He's freed some fire from ice in pity for heaven. He's left open for God the doors of hell tonight. In the heart's vain temple, all statues have been smashed. No priest in saffron's left to toll its knell tonight. God limit these punishments. There's still judgment day. I'm a mere sinner. I'm no infidel tonight. Executioners near the woman at the window. Damn you, Elijah. I'll bless Jezebel tonight. The hunt is over and I hear the call to prayer fade into that of the wounded gazelle tonight. My rivals for your love, you've invited them all. This is mere insult. This is no farewell tonight. And I, Shahid, only am escaped to tell thee. God sobs in my arms. Call me Ishmael tonight. Yeah, another beautiful example of the form. And you can see how, you know, each, each, each verse, each couplet, it exists in its own kind of world as the poet meditates around a subject, making this huge 
sort of panoramic collage of, of a kind of idea. And then that closing, that closing couplet at the end, uh, you know, references itself in sort of a way of like, you know, this is all I can say, or, or like, good job for saying this, or like, you know, uh, you know it's a self-referential kind of meta poetry at the end to kind of tie it together and, and bring out the theme in a way that, that makes it a little more coherent. And it's, it's really just a fascinating form. Yeah, and this is also, I wanted to look at this one uh, during the space today too, because it has been called like an Ars Poetica about, you know, the gazelle. A gazelle. No, it's the first one to say it wrong. No, <laughs> I knew I'd say it wrong at some point. I'm sorry, I was the first one. Um, but anyway, an Ars Poetica about the gazelle form and then about his, you know, dedication to really bring this to English and making it as profound in other languages as it, as it can be in English. Yeah, mm -hmm, definitely. Um, and, and, you know, the, the rhyme too, the, the combination of rhyme and refrain um, that, that ties the whole thing together structurally, um, it just makes for, for great musical poetry too. And I think it works really well in English. Yeah. And I, I read that um, they used to sing and have singing competitions. I mean, I'm sure somewhere people still do, I hope, uh, with guzzles specifically, you know, they're, they're inherently so musical, perhaps even more than other forms of poetry with the refrain being somewhat like a, you know, a chorus in, in a traditional song as well. So there's, there's so much strength to this form and I'm really excited to look more at it. Yeah. This is one of those episodes where I was hoping to learn a lot more than I knew going in. And we have two great poets here that are, that love guzzles too. Um, Karen Kapoor and Shannon Mann are both here. Um, Karen has to go soon. So let's get him on first. Um, are you there, Karen? Hey, Tim. Yes, I am. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great to have you on. Thanks so much for joining oh. us today. And you're in the States now. Yes, I, think, I am. Right? Um, and I've been thinking about Agashai Dali, who um, Katie mentioned just now. And I was thinking of this um, because this is Shannon's favorite ghazal tonight, the one that Katie just read. And we've read it so many times. And the phrase that, um, you know, the rivals of love I think there's a phrase around one of the last couplets. It's a very fam there's a very famous Urdu kind of word that um, uh, Urdu poets would rely on called rakib, which translates as arrival of love. So a lot of these uh, ghazals would be so playful. They would be read in community where they would kind of, again, a very patriarchal sort of space, though. But they would kind of uh, talk about women and they would talk about love and also so this phrase rakib they would kind of uh, speak with each other it would be like a playful sort of uh, rivalry between people and like who can who can um, say the better couplet and so it would be like a very communal form you i say one couplet you say another the third poet says the third couplet and then you kind of have a contest with each other so and again of course it's a very musical form too and that's that was my introduction of uh, my introduction to guzzles because uh, we grew up listening to um, a lot of uh, these musicians gulam ali jagjit singh chitra singh so a lot of these uh, bollywood songs would actually be guzzles and um, and they are meant to be sung they're meant to be read slowly so if you if you see urdu poets like say john elia or whoever reciting guzzles on um, these uh, YouTube videos, you will see that they will repeat the first line so many times before they actually go to the second line so that it, there's a tension that is built. And you, since you know the kafia and the radif and the rhymes, you kind of are expecting or sometimes you're surprised. So it's a very playful sort of form in that sense. Yeah, definitely. It, it just, it's, it's the playfulness is, is a great aspect too. And that's another thing. I mean, this parallel between haiku and guzzle is so fascinating because that's the, the same nature of the of, of haiku, you know, that developed around these kukai drinking parties where we would sit around and, and share and make up haiku on the spot. And then it was only Basho um, who ended up, you know, making more of just a single standalone haiku is a poetic form. Um, how, and, and it's interesting, too, how similar it is to the sonnet in sort of the shape and length and, and how pervasive it is across history and time. I mean, this is a form that dates back over a thousand years, um, you know, started in, in Arabia and then and then through Persia and then to India. Um, how common is it, you know, if you if you're somebody who reads poems in India, um, how often would it be that a guzzle is the, the form that the poem is in? It's probably the most common form people write in, especially who people writing in Hindi. Uh, 
everybody just starts with guzzles. I don't know, maybe people think that it's an easier form to experiment with since there are rhymes and uh, kind of... So, for instance, when you re- when you go to poetry, uh, I don't know, uh, readings, it's easier to follow when uh, people are rhyming in some sense, you know, like, because it becomes like, a, oh, now I know, now I'm with you. And so it becomes, so people usually try and write guzzles for the same reason, because they are a hit on poetry events, I guess. Yeah, and for uh, for now, for writing a modern guzzle, I mean, we we talk about some of the the concepts that are important. What do you think are the if you're writing an English language guzzle now? What do you think is the central aspect? Um, we we didn't we didn't talk too much about the the fact that the word itself comes from that sort of um, that that love talk. Um, so there's this sense that it's sort of a love poem at its heart, but it, it branched out to different topics. Um, so that's one of the aspects. There's the fact that each each couplet is isolated. Um, you know, that there's the rhyme scheme and you see English language guzzles um, drop all of those or, or some of those or most of those. And some of them just seem to be, you know, uh, poems written in couplets. So what do you think are the keys to making a guzzle a guzzle if you're trying to write one? In yeah, that is true. People do write couplets and call it a guzzle. But uh, the traditional Urdu guzzle has rules, which are some of you, some of which you mentioned already with the kafi and the radif. So the first couplet is called Amatla where both the kafi and the radif are there. Like, for instance, it's unnamed af... Oh, I'm looking at a guzzle, so I'm using that as an example. But you you use the kafi and the radif in both the lines of the couplet in the first line. but And then the and then in the subsequent couplets, you start just using the kafi in the second line of the couplet. And the last couplet is called a makta. M-A-Q-T-A would be a, I don't know, a close English spelling for it. And there the poet usually mentions their own name, which I think is important to refer to yourself or to or to a lover or to another poet who you are writing to or after. So I think these are mostly the things that are important. And there's no um, kind of um, couplet limit. You can, it can essentially go on. This The poems can be infinite, like guzzles because it's, again, a communal space, right? There are also poems written, like, responding to previous centuries. Like, for instance, there are there was Ghalib, and then who, whatever poets that came after, they would write to Ghalib or to the one who wrote to Ghalib. So they would, like, continue the poem as long as, I don't know, I mean, it could just literally go on forever. So there's that aspect is cool that the couplets could be isolated from each other, but they are certainly connected some, sometimes through themes. And if not themes, they are absolutely connected through the coffee and the radif, the sound and the music, for sure. So that's what, very interesting to me that how you can move through politics to love to, I don't know, fatherhood or just nature. And you can bring everything in a poem with, with just the refrain of the sound. Yeah, that's why it seems to me that dropping the music is such a big loss, you know, and, and you know, translations of Rumi, if you look them up, they mostly don't have the um, the rhyme and the refrain. Um, and, and that's really what ties the whole thing together. Um, but also there's such a power in, you know, being able to move and make such big leaps from one one couplet to the next and to, to have this sort of, I'm going to look at it you know, like look at the world from this angle and then the camera jumps, you know, and looks at it from outer space and then it moves to look at it from this person's perspective and then two new characters appear and, and all sort of looking at different, a similar theme, but from all these different angles makes this really profound um, way of looking at the poem, a lot like the essay form that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with Jane Hirschfield, which is, you know, breaking a, a topic down into its component parts and looking at it from different angles. That's kind of one of the things that you can really do in a powerful way with this form. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that way of kind of uh, that analogy of kind of looking at it, like the camera angles shifting. It's it's quite precise. And that's that's what happens in, 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 in the best of guzzles that you move in and in and out like constantly and you look at the same sort of thing from different angles. It's it's really cool. And there that is true that Rumi's translations are usually really messed up. You, you know, the most famous Rumi translation done by Coleman Ben. Coleman Barks, I think. I mean, that the person did not even know Persian. <laughs> so that's that's always funny to me. Do you know of any translations um, that are faithful to the music? I'm thinking of, um, you know, I love um, Eugenio Montali translated by Charles Wright. 
because he ignores sort of the subject matter of the poems and lets himself play as a poet with the right. theme and the sound. And, and, and he goes in his own direction, which is sort of like almost like an imitation as much as a translation. But they make it actually work as poetry and you feel like what it would feel like in Italian. Is right. there anything like that with Rumi or, or other other poets? Um, I think Fez Ahmed Fez, Fez Ahmed Fez, right? Used to write in uh, Persian and Urdu uh, and a lot of ghazals. I think Aga Shahid Ali has uh, a, tra- a book of translations uh, of Fez Ahmed Fez. I think they're 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 worth looking at. And but Shannon and I sometimes try and uh, translate ghazals, and we kind kind of since we are faithful to the form, we try our best to kind of maintain the music. So we kind of are amused by that. Well, I think you should, uh, you know, since you're both great poets, I think you should both think about coming up with a translation of your own uh, <laughs> for these poets and bring them in so we can appreciate them in the way that we should. That That is certainly something to consider. Thank you. Um, do you want to read uh, one of your own, maybe? We'd love to hear one. One of my own? I'll have to pull it up, but certainly I would be happy to read it. Am I allowed to make a special request and that it be uh, Guzzle for Dita? Because I really love that one in particular. I mean, I love all of yours, to be honest. You and Shannon are both such amazing poets. Okay, sure. I I I was pulling up another one, but now I'll pull up Guzzle for Dita. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, it's just, yeah, usually um, one just reaches out for the most recent, since this is an older poem. It'd be nice to revisit it too. I, I have it in front of me. Um, Ghazal for Dida, I wrote it for my grandmother when she was dying and, um, well, that's it. There is no harm in times of darkness to use God. Light, love is seized time and again, else we lose God. The devil measured every pain he could draw from our bodies, straightened his back and asked, now who's God? He stood at your door, you averted your eyes. He stood at your door, you averted your eyes. Oh, dying mother, with whom did you confuse God? On certain nights, she screams curses at Krishna. Certain nights, she screams curses at Krishna. There are times, oh, despair, when we cannot choose God. You blew on the first morsel, then offered each idol. Now your unfaithful tongue burns each time you abuse God. Best to let the past remain in the past. She weighs the beads of her rosary to seduce God. Take me into your arms, O omniscient one. Take me with endless prayers all night. Unafraid, she cues God. The world is full of binaries. God is singular. Who divides better than morning news? God. On each of our arms, the black moment we are born, the words suffering, sorrow and death tattoos God. As a child, I was told there is no answer to all. Chaos, caste, guilt, grief, grace, a bruise. God. At the end, we forget more than we remember. At the end, we forget more than we remember. It counts that we are blessed. Who cares by whose God? My mother sits by the moon, sister a candle. I know I am not alone who interviews God. His crimes forgiven for centuries, enough now. His crimes forgiven for centuries, enough now. We will execute, fetch the hangman, bring a news, God. Your name is her offering, Karan. The day she dies, you will lose your name and you will lose God. Thank you. Yeah, it's a beautiful guzzle. Thanks so much for sharing that, Karan. And um, we wanted to help people who wanted to write guzzles for um, the, the summer theme, which is coming. The deadline is January 15th. So there's like two months or so to go until uh, that issue deadline. How do you go about, like, what is the first step? Do you think about the, the rhyme first and the refrain? Um, do you think about um, the topic? And, and how do you make those leaps? Like, what is the writing process like? How would that be different? Because I know you write all sorts of different forms and different styles of poem. 
Um, how, how do you approach writing a guzzle in a different way than you would approach writing something else? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I, I usually think about the, it sounds bad, but it, I do usually think about the r- rhyme and the refrain first. And once I have kind of uh, happened upon something interesting, which I think I did in the, with this poem, I was very happy to have kind of discovered that I could use God and like as my radif, and then also to use the ooze, use, lose, choose sounds as my thing because it has just so many rhymes and there are so many options that are available. So I usually recommend... The, the radif could be anything, but the kafia has to be like the word that is rhymed, not repeated, the the one that f- just precedes it. That that word is like the most crucial word, I think, because if it's a word like, I don't know, orange, which a word which with no rhymes with it, then it would be really hard to move through through a guzzle. So something that is open-ended. And and then people also think about, since you mentioned also that Urdu and Hindi are very different languages where the subject-object relationship is very different from, from in English and the verbs are different. So it's it's a bit trickier. But if you happen upon something that you can kind of recycle and repeat and in, in interesting ways, so I think that's that's a way to kind of begin. Yeah, thanks so much. That's really great advice. I know you have to run to class, so we won't keep you any longer, but really appreciate all the insight and sharing your great poetry card. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, thanks so uh, much for making the time to join us before you're going to class. I really appreciate it, too. Of course, Katie. Thank you. Uh, let's hear from Shannon Mann now, um, who uh, is also just wonderful at writing guzzles. Uh, we published a few in Rattle, too. Uh, hi, Shannon. How are you doing today? Hi, Tim. I'm doing well. This is so cool that you guys are doing this. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, and thank you for asking me to speak. Um, I think one and um, one thing I wanted to touch on was that, like, one of the primary aspects that kind of gets overlooked about the guzzle sometimes, I guess, is that they're actually entertainers. Um, these were things, I think, like I kind of touched on, that uh, people sat around singing and performing and just kind of riffing off of each other. Um, so they were like, I guess, the olden days rap battles, <laughs> but not really battles. <laughs> um, so they were meant to be entertaining. They were meant to be fun. And at the same time, the themes that they were talking about were intense. I mean, there were, of course, broken hearts and, um, you know, unrequited love, but there was also war. There was also so much misery, pain, poverty, um, a lot of really heavy uh, political stuff. So, but they were doing it in a way that was entertaining. And the thing is that when something's entertaining, it just clicks more with people. People tend to remember it more. People tend to care about it more. And that's just the way I think um, human nature works. We tend to remember things that make us feel good, not necessarily in the sense that they make us feel good about something bad, but that touch our heart. And usually something that touches your heart, it it usually is very entertaining. Um, so that is something that I find in a lot of the guzzles that I love to read is that they're fun to read. And again, these things can coexist. Something can be intense and it can still be enjoyable to read. It can still be executed very beautifully. Um, so that's something that I yeah, like to remember that a guzzle is also um, a form of entertainment um, and try to kind of not feel bad about that, <laughs> even if I'm writing about some intense stuff, which I usually am. I tend to write about um, stuff like uh, divorce and like abusive relationships, which are not entertaining when you're inside them. Uh, but you can certainly write about them in a way that can resonate with people. Um, yeah. yeah. That's such a great point. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we're obsessed, uh, you know, in contemporary poetry with that whole pounds, make it new kind of mantra mm-hmm. and where we forget to make it fun so much of the time. And one of the big things I hear all the time from from sort of the lay readers, you know, that, you know, our goal with Rattle is to have it be something somebody can pick up at like a doctor's office and then read some poems and say, oh, I love this. You know, I didn't yes. read poetry, but this is thing. But what you hear from that, uh, not only is that, gosh, I wish this rhyme. Why doesn't poetry rhyme anymore? Which, but we also, is why is it all so dark and so bleak? Are poets all depressed? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and so talking about, um, you know, difficult topics with a kind of joy and some fun and playfulness is such an important thing that we really overlook. And I think getting so serious is it becomes this academic pursuit that we've been doing for the last 50 or 60 years, you know? And I think uh, it's a great reminder to, to have fun with poems. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I have my theories about, you know, why things are becoming so um, academic. <laughs> um, I think it's, you know, heavily connected with the MFA model. And of course, Karen's doing one and there are really good things in there um, that help as well. But I think sometimes it can limit our ability to just enjoy the words on the page as they're happening. So how long have you been reading and writing guzzles? Is it something that you, at least the early poetry that you loved, was that that form? Um, well, you know, um, I guess one of the music that I kind of grew up on was uh, Bollywood music. And like I was mentioning, all of those songs, they're all guzzles, um, which is kind of mind blowing. Like imagine um, all of the stuff, you know, Beyonce put out was like, you know, all like sonnets. <laughs> so it's kind of pretty amazing that that's the case. So I did love them, but I didn't know that I loved them. Uh, uh, it was actually Karan who introduced me to the guzzle form by introducing me to um, Aga Shahid Ali. And then um, he obviously got his poem into Rattle. And then that's when I got, that's how I found out about Rattle. So it's also interlinked the guzzle, Rattle, and my experience with poetry. And that's when I started writing guzzles because it felt easy because something that I tend to do when I write poems is I go all over the place. And the guzzle, um, honestly, was just, it was such a support. It just kind of forced me to have a theme and stick to it because guess what? I had to keep coming back to the topic. I couldn't deviate for too long. Um, and that's something I think that that's really helpful for, for poets who are starting out, just like I was a few years back. Um, it just makes you stick to the topic. Do you want to read one of yours so we can, we can hear an example? Um, yeah, I was trying to decide if I should read like a serious one or something more funny <laughs> or fun. Uh, which one would you prefer? Um, I think we should do a funnier one. Let's, let's okay. do that. I, yeah. I mean, I think it's funny. Like you might think that's totally not. So that would be funny in a different way. Um, so let's, let's try. Um, it's called For Another. In this house of slaughter, you're crying for another. I'm dying for you. You're dying for another. On a spree we hunt all the bazaars of the city. I'm buying for you. You're buying for another. I'll bring you Orion. I'll cocoon you in my womb. I am lying for you. You're lying for another. Incensed, I turn to smoke and slip in through your window. You aren't home. You aren't home. I am vying for you. You're vying for another. You are sleeping with the ocean. Well, I've borne the rain. I'm crying for you. You're crying for another. Hush, little baby, don't cry. I'll put a needle in your eye. I'm lullabying for you. You're lullabying for another. I am the lusterless moon, your blue-green earth. I'm flying for you. You're flying for another. Go to hell, Shannon. They'll char you in a pan of boiling oil. But already I'm frying for you. You're frying for another. Oh, that's great. You can hear like the, you know, the combination of the seriousness and the playfulness too. Um, you know, last week's episode I think was playfulness, and you know, you don't have to be uh, just light subjects to be playful. You can make light of dark things and have it be dark humor too. And there's a lot of that in there. Yeah, it does lend itself really well to dark humor. Um, and this actually was written together. Um, uh, Karen and I wrote this together. So we were because uh, we first started out um, seeing each other when we were not at the same continent even so one of the ways that we would connect um is by writing poems together and the guzzle is an easy one quote-unquote to write together um, because you can each work in a different couplet but be on kind of the same uh, google doc um so yeah <laughs> that's something yeah so they're fun what do you think about what do you use meter uh, what aspects of the traditional uh, guzzle do you keep like i, I was going to ask Tara on this too yeah um, you know because traditionally you know each line would have a certain meter and i think there's there's no rule about which meter had to be but it would set it up and then continue it throughout the, the poem. Do you feel yes. like you have to do that too? Or are you doing free verse except for the rhyme and the refrain? I, I, I used to do a lot of free verse style in terms of meter. It was actually Cutten who kind of told me with example that, hey, you know, if you keep your couplets shorter, um, you're going to get something that's much more... Um, that's much more attractive to the listener because again, this is a listening form. So he used to emphasize that, um, you know, because we are waiting for that uh, relief to come back. We're waiting for the coffee to come back. So if you keep us waiting for too long, it lessens the impact, it lessens the effect. And again, these are all technicalities. I mean, one could write a guzzle, which is, you know, um, I don't know, as long as a prose poem in theory. Uh, but if you're working with the form, it's not that we're trying to, you know, be traditionalists and, you know, we have to stick to the form, but it's really that 
how is the form serving us? If we're going to call it a guzzle, then we might as well try to make the aspects, the elements of a guzzle work for us. It's not necessarily that I'm a traditionalist and I'm going to be metered and I'm going to rhyme. No, it's just that, you know, well, if you're not going to use those elements, then don't call it a guzzle. What's the point? Um, but if you are, then let those aspects work for you because they will uh, do wonders for um, a lot of different things. Like, you know, if you keep coming back to something, if it's, you know, anim like if it's like anaphoric in that way, it's just going to be more enticing. Yeah, that's really well put. And so, so what do you think um, of the things worth saving, you know, and, and mm. doing in English? Do you think that, you know, because you do see, I mean, we mentioned it earlier already, but you see so many things called guzzles that have almost nothing in common. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so what do you think is the most important aspect? Like we have one um, that I, I posted um let me pull this up. This was, yeah. uh, this was a guzzle by Jamie Bradley. It's just called guzzle. I'll just read it because it's really short. Yeah. It's only five couplets. There's no consistency in length. I and mean, you'll hear this. There's no consistency yeah. in length. There's no rhyme. There's no refrain. Um, <laughs> there's no self-reference at the end. And yet, um, to me, it feels because it has the, um, the, the distinct unit of the, the couplet, each line being its own thing. Yeah. It sort of feels like it has the same spirit, even though it's English. So I don't know. What do you, but well, I'll read this one. This is uh, Guzzled by Jimmy Bradley. Her shoes said, love me like a broken animal. The river is red with clay and white and swinging lap. In Cuernavarca market, the flesh hangs everywhere. Pig flesh, wood flesh. Sadly, there are a few old houses that sit affordable all the photos in a doctor's office say, learn to be a better patient. And so you can see this, this sort of yeah. abstract thing around a theme with all these different perspectives um, coming in. And I, to me, that always seems like the key. And yeah. the ones that, to, to be honest, the ones that don't do that and sort of tell a single narrative without moving around at all feel to me in the same way as like a haiku with no cut, where if you don't have a comparison, it's not a metaphor. There's nothing going on that's worth even calling it a poem. <laughs> and in the same way, like calling it a guzzle without the distinct distinct sections and so, the segmented nature makes it feel like it's not a guzzle. Do you have the same feeling though, or is that just a kind of a well, my I own think bias? That, uh, Jamie Bradley's, uh, I think they're a Canadian poet. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's true. I'm not going to critique a Canadian poet because I'm Canadian. So go Canadian poets. <laughs> um, the other, uh, so I, I mean, I think that one of the, things that are really that you know we should just keep around about a guzzle just because it's so unique to a guzzle is that within guzzles you can be ornate you can exaggerate you can be intense you know there are things you can do if you put the word guzzle in your poem or like if you know that's the form you give it that you just can't do in poetry as we know and see it today you can be wild you can be insane you can be um just you know uh like I don't know. It's it's a, it's such a non-traditional traditional form in the context that we have today. Today we're writing poems that seem so curated that seem, and they can be amazing poems too. Like don't get me wrong, I love uh, some of the poems that are coming out today. They're very curated, very measured, um, very controlled. Uh, but within the guzzle, you can just be so loud and wild and crazy. And I think that aspect, uh, Shahid did really really well. I mean, some of these lines you read, like he brings in a lorca and he in in like you know he just goes it's so fantastical it's like the magic realism of poetry i think which i just i think it would be really nice to keep that around because it's rare um in in um in like other poems and in, in other forms yeah there's an irreverence to it you know yes. which is what yeah yeah yes <laughs> yeah i was curious too because so i was looking and i was trying to look for for more irreverent guzzles as i was you know researching for this and i found that adrian rich did like a book of guzzles and i was honestly kind of confused as to how this was a guzzle and i'd like it's, it's again it's short i think it's i think it's five couplets too so i'd like to read it and Shannon, I'd love your opinion on if this is a guzzle, because I'm I'm very interested as to I'm well, sure on this. Maybe is against Adrian Rich. Sure. <laughs> I think it's through. a fair fight, personally. <laughs> All right. So this is it's called Late Guzzle. Foot soul to scalp alive facing the window's black mirror, first rains of the winter, morning's smallest hour. Go back to the guzzle then. What will you do there? Life always pulsed harder than the lines. Do you remember the strands that ran from eye to eye, the tongue that reached everywhere, speaking all the parts? Everything there was cast in an image of desire, the imagination's cry as a sexual cry. 
I took my body any place with me. In the thickets of abstraction, my skin ran with blood. Life was always stronger. The critics couldn't get it. Memory says the music always ran ahead of the words. So, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> well, <laughs> what I am going to say is... I. I... I'm going to say that this was one of the collections that inspired Shahid to come out with, um, to come out with Call Me Ishmael tonight. He was a bit uh, annoyed. And this is Shahid, so I'm going to speak from his perspective. He was a bit annoyed that people were um, using the guzzle form and not really writing a guzzle. So he came out with that. And I think it was a National Award finalist or winner, something along those lines. And his, and his book is fantastic. Uh, and this is one of the collections that he references when he speaks about uh, why he felt compelled to do this. He's like, people are sending me guzzles and they're not guzzles. And that's just the kind of guy he was. And he was an amazing poet and person from what I've heard about him. Um, in terms of whether or not this is a guzzle, from my opinion, I mean, look, I can't gatekeep that. Uh, but if you want my uncensored opinion, I think that, you know, she's clearly trying to respond to the form as a as opposed to write in the form, which I think people have done really well. I even think, um, you know, Frank Sonnets by Diane Seuss, in a way, is that. She's almost as though responding to the form of the sonnet, um, which was traditionally a love poem, and then writing about such uh, deeply excruciating things that are actually love poems. So I think in this way, poets can kind of break apart the idea, the very concept of what a form is, um, and then we can also work within the form as well. And that also can be equally amazing. I usually find it more thrilling when I read something. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm about to read a guzzle. And then it ends up looking more or less like a guzzle. Because, you know, it's kind of just like, you know, a buyer satisfaction in a way that, oh, yeah, this is what I bought. This is what I'm getting. Um, but if I'm feeling more intellectual, then, uh, you know, I might go for this. <laughs> Well, I love that comparison too. to again, looking back at the sonnet, you know, I write a lot of American sonnets and Tim and I kind of joke because it's like my one condition. I mean, I do use a lot more rhyme in, in my poems than a lot of people do. But at the same time, that isn't really, you know, anything beyond just, hey, it's 14 lines of calling it a sonnet and thinking back to the early writers of, of sonnets and what they would think of this. It could be a little, a little bit like I'm, I'm entering into that Adrian Rich, Rich Nebulous realm, you know. Yeah, I come at it from a, maybe a personal emotional level because I, you know, from reading submissions, because I love formal poetry. And every time I get a submission that says sonnet or, or guzzle and I open it up, I'm excited that it's going to be some kind of like Shakespearean sonnet or, or Spencerian sonnet or something. And then it ends up being just 14 lines. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, man, not again. I love it's just like you're... a bait and switch aspect to it. I love imagining that like every time you open one of these hundred thousand submissions, you're like, this is going to be a real sonnet. <laughs> you're sad again. No, Tim. <laughs> Well, I hope people send a good amount of real guzzles. That's all I hope for the uh, the tribute coming up. Uh, one thing I was thinking about, I don't know, how much do you know about the history of the form, Shannon? Because I was thinking as you were talking, you know, it's been referred to so often as a sort of a sonnet type for the, the Middle East kind of world. But it seems to yes. me more related to the ballad in the way that um, because it was spread, you know, you're talking about the irreverence of it yes. and the musical aspect, too. It was sort of spread through um, Islamic, you know, court systems, you yes. know, and, and sort of like the court gesture type thing where in a, in a sort of a restrictive speech type um, religious environment, um, there's certain things you couldn't say, but then you could say it in a song, in a ballad, in a, in a, in a guzzle. Is that part of the aspect that makes it um, um, so irreverent in that way? That it's stuff that you normally couldn't say, like taboo subjects that you're sort of given permission in this setting to speak? Yes, it's interesting, right? Because the guzzle um, is often seen as like a mystic form, um, like the Sufi mystics sang it. Um, but it's also a lover's form. And the thing is that oftentimes what would happen is that um, poets would sing guzzles and it would seem like really crude and like almost lascivious. And like, oh my gosh, he's really um, effusing, you know, here about this, uh, you know, uh, like about the beloved's body and how much they want them. And, you know, this is not allowed. And then usually it'd be like, oh, no, no, I'm talking about God, actually. So it, it, it you know, almost seems like a clever way for poets to be able to express love uh, for the beloved. And, you know, even if it was for God, but in a way that is very, um, uh, you know, that was that would otherwise be censored if it if it if it hadn't been clothed in this obvious guise of, oh, no, no, this is a prayer. This is not a sex poem. Um, uh, so I think that that kind of helped. The, and, you know, 
ways to do things that are not allowed, but doing them in a way that is covered. These kind of things always kind of spread underground for artists and poets because we're always trying to break free and trying to, you know, not be censored. So this was one thing that really helped the guzzle spread um, throughout South Asia, throughout uh, Persia, Turkey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Humans are going to be human. <laughs> Just the bottom line for humanity. Um, and I think and Joe Barkas had his hand up a bunch um, and hasn't talked yet. Hey, Joe, how are you doing today? Hello, hello. I mean, first of all, I have to tell you that this hour out of all the hours in the week is one of my favorites. So I'm grateful for that. And and the guests that you have are just off the chart. So thank you. But so just some things I thought about listening to the readings today. One is the repetition in the poems is, is a real comfort, almost like a blanket or something that you can hold on to and you can keep coming back to. And I also think that the repetition kind of anchors the poem. It makes it really solid. And then then when we talk about irreverence, I also think there's a meditation to the poem or a, a chant. I know we're talking about singing, and, and that's quite lovely. And then there's something so sort of miraculous about someone writing an eternal poem. You know, like I tend to like poems that are short, but if I, writing one that never ends just seems like otherworldly to me. And And finally, Katie, this is the perfect opportunity for us to write one together and read it together someday. So that's just like such a cool thought to make I don't want to say that public poetry reading can be a little dry, although it can be sometimes, but to give it a little bit more life and a little bit more dynamism with multiple people playing off each other. So just some really rich and wonderful information today. Thank you. Joe Barca, I accept. We will be doing this. This will Game be on. super Game fun on. if you're going to do it. That's a great idea. And I love that because I didn't know about the collaborative aspect at all. That, you know, again, reminds me of the Haiku community and Renga and everything with that. So this will be, will be really fun. Um, and something I've been thinking about so much, too, is how important, you know, referencing ourselves or the poet in the, in the last stanza really is, both in terms of thinking about it as a listening form, because it's an indication like, hey, guys, this is, a, this is the final couplet. Pay attention. This is about to end, too. And I think that, that it leads to more of like a mic drop moment at the end of that reading, because it always kind of comes full circle in a really cool way. And I can't think of, you know, any poetic form that, that does that. And I think it's really powerful. Yeah, I think I like Joe's uh, comment too about the the tether, the the rhyme and the refrain being a tether. We talk about that on the critique of the week all the time. How you need to have some kind of touchstone with a poem to sort of know where you are, to let you almost like a like a guideline if you were like scuba diving or something, uh, so you know your way back through the cave or whatever. Um, some some connection to the surface. You kind of need that in a poem in order to not feel lost. And and having that really strong tether in the music allows you to go farther and farther out into like deeper, deeper depths, which I think is maybe one of the powers of the form. Yeah, I really love Shannon, how you were talking about, you know, when you write, you can kind of go over the go all over the place, but that this form brings you back. And that's very appealing to me because I tend to go all over place when I write and I don't have anything bringing me back. So it seems like maybe I need to write some more guzzles. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to hear some other uh, examples? I don't know. Do you, do you have a, a favorite you want to read, Shannon? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, my favorite, um, actually, Katie read it, but I can read one of my second favorites, <laughs> if, if that's all right. Um, I'll just pull it up now. It's called, um, it's called In Arabic um, by Shahid. And actually, Shahid first wrote this as a guzzle, but it was not rhyming. And then he, when he realized that, oh my gosh, everybody's doing this, I need to like be the torchbearer for proper guzzles. Um, he then rewrote it as rhyming so this is the rewritten version <clears throat> um, in Arabic a language of loss I have some business in Arabic love letters, calligraphy, pity less in Arabic as an exhibit of miniatures what Kashmiri hairs each paisley inked into a golden tress in Arabic this much fuss about a language I don't know this much fuss about a language I don't know so one day perfume from a dress may let you digress in Arabic a guide for the perplexed was written, believe me, by Cordoba's Jews, Maimonides in Arabic. Majnu by stopped caravans, rips his caller's cries, Layla, pain translated as oh, much more, not less, in Arabic. Right, Shamas, memory no longer confused, now is a homeland, his two languages a Hebrew caress in Arabic. When Lorca died, they left the balconies open and saw on the sea his casita stitched seamless in Arabic. 
In the veiled one's harem, an adulteress hanged by eunuchs, so the rank mirrors reveal to Borges in Arabic. Ah, bisexual heaven, wide-eyed Horus and immortal youths, to your each desire they say yes, oh yes, in Arabic. For that excess of sibilance, the last apocalypse, so pressing those three forms of S in Arabic. I too, O Amichai, saw everything, just like you did, in death, in Hebrew, and, please let me stress, in Arabic. They asked me to tell them what Shahid means. Listen, listen. It means the beloved in Persian, witness in Arabic. Yeah, another beautiful example, and the playfulness is there too, and, and the just the beauty and the music of those lines. Yeah, great example. I love that. You know, Shannon, I had a question since I think that you know a lot about Ellie. It seems I was curious. Did when he took on and kind of realized he was going to be at the forefront of you know putting guzzles into English? Was he sort of of the was he quiet aside from putting out the poems that he thought represented the quality that he wanted to see or did he also speak about out vocally about things like adrian rich oh he spoke vocally <laughs> he he spoke about it uh, yeah he he was very um, outspoken about that i think he even he had a, he even puts it in his preface or in one of the prefaces for his book call me ishmael he's like the reason that i wrote this is because but you know he was such a cool guy just the way he does he does it. I mean, it's so beautiful. It's so loving. And you really understand his intention. He really wants to preserve um, the best of the culture that he comes from. Of course, he was an American poet in most ways. Um, but still, he came from a certain cultural context. And he saw the value in um, kind of showing America and showing the world uh, the riches of that context. And he saw that, yes, it can be challenged. Yes, you can speak back to the form. But it's important first to try to understand what the form exists for. Um, so, yeah, he was outspoken about it. Well, he sounds awesome. I'm so glad to have discovered him. I like, like yes. everything I've learned about him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I wish we could have uh, interviewed him before, before he passed away. Honestly, I, I wish I could have met him almost every single day. I like read about him all the time as much as I can. Have you ever written any guzzles that respond to his? Um, that's such an interesting question because I feel like I feel like the entirety of my because uh, I have a collection of uh, guzzles ongoing kind of respond to his in the sense that they're all traditional guzzles. Um, I haven't yet um, had the guts. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put it like that to experiment with a non-traditional guzzle. Um, but I think my entire collection kind of does, though there are some specific ones that... So one thing that Shahid did, which I think is really cool, which I think poets should talk about more and should know more about, um, is that Shahid was very pro-stealing. <laughs> so I'm going to first just put that in a very controversial way and then try to explain it. So Shahid felt that, you know, um, just like the ghazal is from a community, well, actually, the entirety of what poetry is, is community. It's actually a communal experience because you're getting these poems from a different source, whether you believe that's divine or you believe that's inspiration or, you know, whatever it is. But it's not just, you know, you sitting with a pencil and putting down words because you know words or you know things and, you know, like you can look up a thesaurus. Um, so he believed that, you know, if you find something in somebody else's work that you really like, you can use that for inspiration. You can use phrases from it. And he would reference it, of course. He, would, he wouldn't steal in the sense that he's just uh, appropriating somebody else's words as, a, words as his own. But a lot of his poems you'll find where, where you know, it'll say after this person or within the poem, he'll directly reference the poet who he's taking from, not necessarily like, uh, you know, um, academically like, oh, you know, a footnote with this or that, but he'll do it in a very creative way. So as to almost enter into active conversation with the poet but also using what they've written in his poem in a way that it feels like it is also his poem, because it is, it is also his poem. So, and we do this subconsciously all the time. And sometimes as poets, we can get afraid of doing it. Like, oh my gosh, did I write this? You know, maybe I took it from, you know, I don't know, Dean Young or uh, somebody else who has such, um, you know, like phrases that you can really use. But he was a big believer, Shad, in using other people's words to inspire you and it's a whole thing right like steal like an artist um so yeah this is i think one thing that we can um as poets really help us help us to keep going that it's it's okay to quote-unquote steal it's okay to be inspired it's okay to use direct quotes from other people um and to continue your poems uh, with that if that kind of makes sense yeah 
Yeah, well, I, I agree with that, too. I think that uh, it reminds me, too, that uh, Tim and I, when we were at the Haiku Conference in Cincinnati this summer, attended a Michael Dillon Welsh workshop called Deja Coup about stealing haiku among people, too. So, I mean, it just, you know, everything is an evolution, right? Everything is, in a sense, a collaboration, I think. Yeah, and, and poetry is really the grand dialogue of our species. That's what we're all doing. And I think when we get so fixated on book publication and credits and MFAs and degrees and all that stuff, we forget that that's what we're doing is just having this big conversation across time and space and perspective with everybody who's ever been a human being in the past. I think the guzzle form really uh, does a lot with that. And, and we're hearing about that today. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, I wanted to, I wanted to go to Joe Barca because he put his hand up again and Shannon, I was hoping to give you a little advance notice because I would love it if after we talked to Joe for a minute, when it's time to read, like usually I read a closing poem, but I love your reading voice. And to be honest, I've listened to the audio version of your hands on rattled sight of you reading it so much that I'm going to ask you to read it. If you wouldn't mind pulling it up. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Definitely. Okay, great. Thanks. So, so Joe, what did you want to say? No, I just want to say that Shannon said, it's so eloquently sort of giving us permission to collaborate. You know, I mean, I write, I try to write a lot of golden shovels where you use someone else's line as the last word in each one of your lines in your poem. And there's just something brilliant about the fact that we don't write alone, yet we can give credit. And I've never thought of giving credit in the body of a poem to, to the author of, of the, the inspiration. So just thank you, Shannon. Just some, some uh, great ideas and thoughts. Totally, you're welcome. <laughs> well, Shannon, I would love for you to raise your hands if you're up for it. I think yeah. this is, to be honest, this is my favorite guzzle ever. So. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, here it goes. <clears throat> your hands. Like coals, they ashed me bit by bit. Your hands. The open fire thrilled me, I admit. Your hands. A panther only sees white food at night. It is natural, then, that against my cheekbone you hit your hands. I crumbled into the sour milk of your ears as you begged. So deep is my pain. Save me. With this ring, commit your hands. You called me priestess, whore, my half, my sin, my soul. I sang, bastard, infidel, my neck, hypocrite, your hands. Great men become bone. Their names given to stars, but stars too burned when they learned how piety and lust lit your hands. I unearthed my cremains from the cuts of the Ganges. A beggar tithed me a coin. Along with it, your hands. I discovered a woman created in my own image. I lifted her veil behind it. Dead birds, zephyrs, a faded palette, your hands. You said... Love achieves glory when lovers take up arms. Yet no matter what I killed, I could never outwit your hands. Who has not made love to beasts and wild wastelands? Shannon. Shannon, it is not gold. It is gore. It is shit. Your hands. Thanks so much for reading that. It's beautiful, beautiful reading and so, so exciting to me to get to hear you read it live, even in this format where I can't see you, but it was... It was really beautiful. And that, of course, was a Rattle Poetry Prize finalist in 2022. Well-deserved finalist. Thank you. You're so sweet. Thank you. Yeah, I just love that poem. One of my favorite. I remember reading it in the slush or the, you know, submission pile and, and being blown away right away. It was great, great work. Well, I feel like I've learned a tremendous amount this space. And I'm really grateful, Shannon, to you for coming and sharing. And of course, Karan for coming for as long as he was able to beforehand. So I really thank you guys um, and Joe Barca for speaking up and Tim for everything I learned from you in this too. I'm really excited to go and write guzzles. guzzles. Now, <laughs> I screwed up one more time before this phase ends. But we wanted to say again that the submission window ends on January 15th, right, Tim, for the tribute call? Yep, January 15th at midnight. Uh, send up to four poems, as always, through submittable. Submissions are free, et cetera, like always. But Rattlin's for the summer issue, so it'll come out June 1st, whenever whenever we, we you get your submissions in. Yep, yep and I'm sure that uh, you'll be getting even better submissions after we did this space. So thanks so much. Oh, we should talk about what we're going to do next week. Yeah, definitely. Next week uh, was your idea, but we're going to have an open lines for poems on thankfulness. So we have a poetry reading 
anybody is welcome to share poems. We're going to be doing a Thanksgiving kind of thankfulness type poems. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And I figure too, we've done that once before. So now we we started the poetry space, of course, at the total at the beginning of this year. So we're coming up on having done it for a year. And I think like twice a year an open mic seems about right. So start thinking about which thankful poem you want to read, um, you know, with that interpreted, however you want to interpret it, but it'll be fun as a get together for, you know, a pre Thanksgiving thing, since we're not going to have this space on Thanksgiving also. So it'll be like our poetry space Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uh, hopefully uh, you'll make me some more turkey, Katie. <laughs> oh, we've got multiple turkeys. We are one Thanksgiving of three, Tim. You better get ready to eat more turkey. So thanks to you thanks. guys. Thanks. Well, so yeah, yeah. Thanks so much, Katie, for being a great host as always, and to Shannon and Karan for being here, and Joe Barca, and uh, everybody listening and enjoying. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have a great week, and see you guys next week with your poems to share with us too. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.